Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning, church family. I'm going to tell you what, you put enough lights up on you people and all that greeny, you look pretty good. You know, I'm looking forward so much to today, and I like to first start off by allying any fears you may have, because some of you are thinking, it is 9.45, he is up awfully early. This is not going to be a longer message, but I asked Dalton if he would be kind enough to let me come a little bit early so that as we conclude participating in the Lord's Supper together, we would have some time to worship the Lord together in song. And so I've appreciated his. And by the way, you know, in all the time that I have been serving here, Dalton has just been a jewel for me because he has always been so ready to help me and to help us move forward together in worship. And just like all the rest of the staff, guys, y'all are living in a bird's nest on the ground. This is a good team. So it's just a tremendous blessing. So this morning, I'm going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, and I want to talk to you about love. Church historians tell us that at the end of his life, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was the disciple who was put into exile. He was an old man, could barely get around, and he was put on the Isle of Patmos, which you may think of when you think about the book of Revelation, because that's where he was when he had the vision. But Patmos was not a vacation destination. About 10 miles long, about 6 miles wide, it was a rock quarry. And there were no trees, hardly any vegetation. And that's where they parked John, hoping to keep him from causing more trouble. But once in a while, they would let John go to church. And the story is, is that they would come over and they'd pick him up by boat. They would bring him over to one of the local churches. And the one I read, which particularly touched my heart, was how John made his way finally to the very front of that church and turned around and preached one simple message. He looked at them and said, children, love each other love each other and then he stopped and I want to ask you today how are we doing loving each other how are we doing loving one another so as we talk about preparing for the Lord's Supper as we think about this celebration that we get to be part of yes in a very real way the the primary focus is on what Christ did for us on the cross but I will remind you that part of what happened in the Lord's Supper too was Jesus looked at his family and he said you are now part of me this is about us And that the Lord's Supper is not just a proclamation of the return of Christ one day because of his death, burial, and resurrection. It's also a reminder that we're a family. And by the very nature of that family, God calls us 
to love each other. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The way that we love each other directly indicates our love for God. Don't go past it too quick. The way that I love you, the way that you love others, the way that you and I love those that are challenging or different, the way that we love those that are difficult is an indicator of how well I love God. In 1 Peter 4, 7, he writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever amen let's pray lord as your children we gather before you wanting to know wanting to know lord how to love you better but also aware that to love you well we are called to love each other deeply and so, Father, I pray that today that as we look at your word, as we look at what it has to say to us, that, God, that we, would not, that we would not somehow just skip over the parts that are uncomfortable, but we would embrace the challenge of loving well so that we might love you more deeply. For we pray it in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. How are we doing? Loving one another. Well, as we look at this text, one of the things we have to quickly come to is this. We are to love each other deeply. Not surfacely, but deeply. What does it say in 1 Peter 4, 8? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Peter writes to them and says, listen, I don't want you just to do this surface expression. I don't want you just to do this little surface thing of, hey, how are you? And, hey, love your brother. I want you to love each other deeply. The Bible literally uses a word that is translated earnestly. And that means with the truth of our soul to another. That I'm going to love you genuinely. To love each other with a heart that says, I care about you. I want to be available to you. I want to be receptive to you. I want you to know that when you meet me, you meet someone who cares about you.
That is earnest love. God's love stretches our heart, enlarges our capacity to love beyond what's comfortable. You know how many times Jesus says something like, hey, don't just love those who love you back. Don't just invite those to dinner who can invite you back. Don't just take care of people who can take care of you. What's the credit in that? I want to ask you, who are you loving right now? That's a challenge. Don't point. <laughs> if I was going to point, I'd be like this. But God enlarges our capacity. But the fact is we can't say we deeply love God and not deeply love others. Remember what John said in 1 John 4? We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen can't love the God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Our love for each other, our love for each other is a clear indication of whether or not we are truly a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if, if you have love for one another is the first characteristic that someone would speak about our relationships with each other is that those folks really love each other. And could they perhaps even marvel that in spite of the diversity and despite of all the differences that may be among them, they love each other first. They love well. But here's the thing about love. If you really love somebody, you're going to do something. Because real love causes real actions. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And he says to them, listen, here's what love does. It covers a multitude of sins. Not some sin, a multitude of sins. In Proverbs 10, 12, it says this, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers over all offenses. You know, one of the best parts of being a grandparent one of the best parts. I had three little kids, a basically a, a eight-year-old, almost six-year-old, and a three-year-old that's almost 12 invade my house <laughs> on Wednesday. And so I got to spend a little bit of time with them on, well, actually almost no time with them on Wednesday, but Thursday morning I got to have some time with them. And you know what? It is just so much fun because I'm not raising them. I wind them up and send them home. But the reality is, is that when you're first parenting your children, you're trying to do it right, aren't you? You're trying to get it right. You're trying to help them be right. You're trying to help them do what's right. When you're a grandparent, you just love them. And you hope their parents train them because that's not your job. 
My job is to mess them up. <laughs> Just a little bit. I want to love them well. Now, I, I don't do what, I, I don't let them do what their parents don't let them do. I don't break those, I mean, I, that, that's just foolish and undermines, it's unhelpful. But I'm going to tell you, there's no pressure. And I want to ask you, are you loving people because they do right? Do you love people because they do what you expect? Or do you love them deeply? And when it says love covers a multitude of sins, I think part of what is communicated in that is love is always ready to understand that there has to be a tomorrow to survive today. We don't have to get everything perfect. You don't have to be perfect. My love for you is not based on perfection. It's based upon what he did for me. And I can't escape it. It covers a multitude of sin. Not only that, it doesn't keep score. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 from the New Living Translation. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. There are parts of Scripture that are hard, that's one for me. Keeps no record of wrong. Now, I would say it like this. I don't keep a record of wrong. What I do is make sure that I don't get burned again. I try to be mindful. So here's what I want to suggest to you you're not keeping a record of wrong. It's not about I'm so foolish that I keep thinking, hey, if that happens again, I guess it'll turn out all right, though that was a total tragedy. It's that I'm not letting that record get in the way of me loving you. I'm not letting wrongs build up in a way that the record of wrong is in front of me all the time. And that I'm not going to let the disappointments of the past destroy the moment I'm in with you. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to pull out my list. I mean, I know we decorated for Christmas, but we're not going to do a naughty or nice list. Why is that so important? Why is it so important not to live your life carrying around a record of wrong? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See what happens when I keep a record of wrong. And let's say that it's about disappointments. Let's say it's about life situations that I want to be different, or it's about personal relationships where I have been hurt or disappointed. If I'm not careful, what happens is I can roll that record of wrong through my heart so many times that it now becomes the lens by which I see you. So that when I come to you, my first thought is not loving you. My first thought is, I don't want to be hurt by you again. My first thought is, you're going to disappoint me again. My first thought is, you're the one that said what you said, and I'm never going to let it go. And that record 
is in front of me. And I might be thinking that I'm trying to give somebody a second chance or a third chance or fourth chance, but the reality is, is that I'm just waiting for them to prove what I'm thinking. That record of wrong is like rust to your soul, and it'll eat you alive. The Lord does not want us walking around with a record of wrong. Love keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't mean that love is foolish, but what it does mean is I am not going to let unforgiveness that I could harbor in my heart create a barrier that will keep me from seeing the fullness of Jesus. I'm going to, I've got to forgive so I can move forward and be free before him. It doesn't keep score. Also, it causes us to forgive. Remember in Matthew 18, 21, Peter, who wrote 1 Peter, came up to Jesus and asked this question and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sinned against me and I forgive him as many as seven times and Jesus said to him I do not say to you seven times but 77 times now I'm going to tell you if you and I are walking together and in a single day you have cause for me to have to say I forgive you seven times I'm looking for a way out of that situation I mean, it's like, I don't know if I'm going for eight. But what Jesus said to him was basically this sense of impossibility. And that is, you be ready to forgive and to forgive and to forgive and to forgive. And you don't forget one thing. I bought you with a price. You do not belong to yourself. You are now mine and my love is greater than yours. This is not a license to offend people. This isn't a way of saying, hey, in church or in our families, we ought to be harmful to each other. It's talking about a heartbeat that says, I'm ready to forgive because you need it. And if I don't do it, it's going to stand in the way of me loving God fully. And I don't want anything to get in the way of that. Not only that, it motivates us to serve. It says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And I want to stop for just a moment on that word hospitality and what it means to be hospitable. Because I'm going to tell you, if somebody came to this church and you weren't greeted, I don't know how you snuck in. Because this is a greedy church. I mean, not greedy, greet T, okay? <laughs> One little consonant can change a lot, won't it? This church loves on you. It wants to know you. It wants to make sure that you are welcome. And if you haven't been welcomed well yet, you just let me know. And I've got 12 guys ready to bear hug you. But the reality is, is that this is a church that's very hospitable. But I want to talk a little bit about the hospitality that he's referring to and talking about because at times, if we're not careful, we're hospitable to a point. 
to a point. Because this word for hospitality that is used here, literally in a very real way, it has some meanings, which means not just to a point, it means to have hospitality all the way into my house, into my dwelling. It means to live with each other in a way that we're inviting people into our lives, that we're including people into our lives. It's so that when I'm in a small group or I'm in Sunday school or I'm sitting in the worship service and I see somebody come in that's brand new or somebody I don't recognize, I greet them and I say, hey, would you like to sit by somebody interesting? Because I think I know somebody. But you give them a place with you to include them. It also means to receive them, to fellowship with them, to listen to them to ask them questions, to let them know that you have a genuine interest in their lives. It means to provide for them, whether that is food, comfort, or encouragement. It means also, biblically, to protect them. If somebody came to your home, they were under your protection. If somebody came to your home, you safeguarded them. And it would mean, even in a church family, that when it comes to the way that we treat each other and talk about each other, that we are safeguarding each other's reputations. That we're not speculating about motives, that we're not wondering about intentions, but rather we are treating each other with truth and fairness and in love. Hospitality. But it also says this, do it without grumbling. Have you ever been with somebody that didn't want you there? And if that's the family you moved in, I mean, married into, I'm sorry. But the reality is that we're to do it with a heart of joy, we're to do it with a heart of openness. Because when I receive you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm receiving Him. And what I do for the least of these, my brothers, I did it for the Lord. And so they may be irritating, but Jesus is loving. And as a friend of mine, Jerry Vineyard, over at the Under Over Fellowship would say, while you may smell them before they hit the door, they are welcome in the door. The reality is we are here to love each other. And you know, this is foundational to the early church. Remember in Acts 2 what it says at the end. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Just as they were being added to day by day, they were also growing feet under the table. They were in each other's homes. You know, if you were to go into my home today, and we've almost unfinished packing. You know, we've got first unpack done. That's where the boxes are largely in the closets where you can't see them yet, okay? But we're getting closer. We keep getting closer. But you would see a kitchen table that when you looked at it, it, I mean, it's a nice table, but you might look at it and go, I wonder why they chose that table. Because it is uh, kind of vintage. 
It came out of the 30s out of a Sears and Roebuck catalog. My parents bought it when I was just a little kid. I mean, small little kid. And I can remember that table since I think I was, can really remember things. And so there came a day where when they were ready to go to a different table, I said, I want that table because of all the memories I have of that table. When, when my mother bought that table, the woman that she bought it from called her a little bit later and said, can I have that table back? And my mother said, well, talk to me. She said, well, that's where I raised my kids, and, and we always prayed before every meal when we sat down at that table. And there's never been anything inappropriate that has ever happened around that table. And that table just means so much to us. And my mother said, listen, I can promise you this. There won't be a meal at this table where there's not prayer. And there will be nothing that will ever happen at this table that you're going to be disappointed in. And she said, okay, you are now the safeguard of that table. So it passed from that family to my family and now to my family but you know, when I think about that table, I don't just think about meals around that table. I don't just think about sitting there in the middle of my sister on one side, my brother on the other, my mother and father. You know what I think about? I think about how many times I would come home from middle school or high school and see my mother and some of her friends with open Bibles sitting at that table talking about Jesus. I think about all the times that people were invited into our home and would sit at that table to be given a meal or to be encouraged. I think about what it means to have grown up in a home where parents taught us early on that our homes belong to the Lord and we are to bring people into our homes so that they can understand the graciousness of God. Because I learned that old saying is true. Until somebody's feet are under your kitchen table, you don't know them and they don't know you. And I just want to ask you, have you invited the people in your life into the table of your heart? Have you invited them not just to pass you by or to stand at the porch and say hello, but have you invited them in? That begins by inviting Jesus into your heart. By allowing Jesus to capture you. And by you yielding yourself to him and, and acknowledging who he is, the Lord and Savior of the world. Asking him to forgive your sins, embracing him as your Lord and Savior, trusting in him with all your heart, that makes you his child. And if you've not done that, as we come to the Lord's Supper, I implore you, go to him today. We'd love to talk with you. I will be available to you. We're going to have a prayer time. But this prayer time is, is more than just that particular decision, though that's the most critical decision you'll ever make. It's also about, do you need to take a step with somebody else? 
Do you need to take a, another step toward a relationship to be healed or another step toward loving something, someone better and, and, and well? Is there a movement that God is putting into your heart that you either need to go to somebody in this congregation and have a prayer with them or you need to have prayer to be able to know what to do next or you just simply say, Lord, I need to stop for a moment. And I need to make sure my heart is ready to receive communion. Whatever God has spoke to you, as our deacon families are coming here to the front and also into the balcony, I ask you to join me. And standing together, we're going to pray, and then let's take this opportunity to prepare our hearts and respond to our Lord. Lord Jesus, we ask you. We ask you to bless this time. We thank you for loving us, for encouraging us, and we ask you, Lord, to give us the openness of heart to hear your word and to respond. In Jesus, your holy name, amen.